Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 374 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not really asked you to agree with me, I'm asked you to hear me out. 1996. 1996. Why am I starting with that year? That is the year that the WNBA started. That's the year where the first ball was dribbled in the WNBA. Now, nobody thought that the WNBA was going to grow as big as it grew, obviously, as big as it is today. Now, yes, there is still ways to go in improving the WNBA and growing the WNBA as a brand, as a product. But in 1996, nobody thought that the WNBA was going to get here. And when I said get here, yes, I'm I'm sure they thought that the WNBA was still going to be here. But as big and as pivotal in sports, I don't think that they thought it was going to reach the magnitude of which it is today. There have been three teams now, three, that have made history in the WNBA in one certain aspect, and that is winning back-to-back WNBA championships. There's only been three teams. The uh, the Houston Comets, who's not even, not even a team anymore. The LA Sparks. And now, this year's Las Vegas Aces. Dynasties look different for different sports. And a dynasty can be just how sheer dominant you are. For instance, we're seeing a current dynasty in baseball with the Houston Astros. There's a reason why when we look at the Houston Astros, the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about sport comparisons is the Patriots. They have currently been to seven straight ALCSs. And if things, how it's looking right now, they're probably going to end up in the World Series and might even win it again seeing as though they did just win the World Series last year. You see, that dynasty is, is, is long, pause. That dynasty has sustained for years upon years. You have the Lakers dynasty in 2000 with the Kobe Shaq. That wasn't as long, pause. But that was dominant. I think that's the, they won, they lost one game. In the playoffs, I think in 2001. And that was game one of the NBA Finals against Allen Iverson. You know I had to. You know, guys, I had to put it out there. <laughs> that dynasty obviously wasn't as lengthy as the, the Patriots dynasty or the Houston Astros dynasty that we're currently seeing. But... It was dominant for as long as it needed to be dominant. Same as the Golden State Warriors dynasty. 
I do believe we're we're clearly at the end of it. But from 2015 to 2022, the Golden State Warriors have had something to outside of two years when everyone was hurt. The Golden State Warriors had something to say about who was going to win the NBA championship or at least making it the one year that they obviously didn't win it in 2019. Everyone got hurt. KD got hurt. Clay got hurt. You're hearing a lot of people say, why are people calling this Vegas Aces team a dynasty already, seeing as though they've only won two WNBA championships? I would combat that with saying, okay, you're absolutely right. Obviously, this dynasty isn't as long as Again, let's say the Houston Astros or or let's see if we can even if you want to stay with the WNBA, you can even go back to the uh, Houston Commons. I think they won four straight. But I would retort by saying. When you do something like that, when two back to back or win back-to-back WNBA championships and being the third team to do it in your entire sports history and quiet as it's kept it doesn't look like there's going to be a fall off for next year I would say that that at least institutes being called at least an early dynasty on top of that and I've talked about this before but on top of that we need to understand what exactly are the components that make up a dynasty or make up a a great team let's say that what what are the components that make up a great team well you have to have a good coach there has never been in the history of sports do i think there's been a bad coach to win a championship there might have been a mediocre coach but a, a flat-out bad coach? No. I could be wrong. I'm sure people will just destroy my comments, which is cool. But I don't think there's been a bad coach to win any championship. When you look at the cream of the crop in coaching for the WNBA, you can't look much further than Becky Hammond. Becky Hammond, of course, played in the WNBA, coached in the NBA under Greg Popovich's Spurs system, and now the coach of the Vegas Aces. She's coached the Vegas Aces for two years. And in two years, you see two championships. Again, I'm not saying it's just her. But you can't be a bad coach and win a championship. You can be a mediocre coach and win a championship, but nobody thinks that Becky Hammond is a mediocre coach. What else do you need to have a championship component? Well, you have to have a star player. There's there's not that your star player might 
might not be the most important piece, but you have to have a star player. There is there is a debate right now between who is the best WNBA player in the world right now. We know that Brianna Stewart won this year's MVP. But that has come with a lot of, I guess you can call it controversy, seeing as though a lot of people thought that Asia Wilson, including myself, a lot of people thought that Asia Wilson was deserving of her, her third MVP. Asia Wilson is the best player in the world. In fact, let me pull it up real quick. I was just thinking about this. To, to put into perspective, I think Asia Wilson is like 24, 25. Let me, now this, this stat has obviously gone around uh, social media. It's like a graphic, of course, but in, I think she's 24, I believe, or 27, I apologize. She's 27. In just a, in, in 27 years, this is what she has done. She is a two-time WNBA champion a WNBA Finals MVP, a two-time WNBA MVP, two-time Defensive Player of the Year. She won uh, SB for WNBA Player of the Year. She's a five-time WNBA All-Star. She's a Rookie of the Year. She's made an all-rookie team. She was a three-time first team, one-time second team. She's made all-defensive team, all-first, well, all-defensive first team twice. She made all defensive first team or second team once. She is a three-time blocks leader. She won the Commissioner Cup. She is a USA Basketball Female of the Year. She has a World Cup. She has, she has an Olympic World Cup, and she's a WNBA champion. I mean, I'm sorry. She is a NCAA champion. She's done all that in 27 years. Of life, I'm not saying she's been in the league for 27 years. And 27, she's only been in the league for what? A couple, like four years, maybe? Three, four, five years? I'm not, this isn't me bashing anybody. I'm not going to bash Brianna Stewart. I will never disrespect Brianna Stewart. She's considered one of the greatest bas- or WNBA basketball players we've ever seen. But so is Asia Wilson. And if anybody needs to question, or if anybody ever questioned how good Asia Wilson is, look at this play. Look at this playoff run. She has been cl- in, in not just the M- or WMA Finals, but the entire playoff. She has been the clear cut best player. What else is a championship? team need they need exceptional role players if you want to go back to golden state we always talk about steph curry clay thompson draymond green kevin durant when he was there but they also had a very deep bench they had sean livingston they had andre iguodala shouts out to andre iguodala by the way uh retiring from the officially retiring from the nba incredible player i think Definitely has a case to be a, a Hall of Famer, but shouts out to him. But you had Andre Udala, you had David West, you had JaVale McGee. They had an exception, exceptional team built around their stars. 
Same thing with the Miami Heat and the Heatles. LeBron James, uh, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. You also had Mario Chalmers. You had Shane Battier, Ray Allen. They had exceptional pieces. When it's all said and done, I think that there's a few people that have the talent, have the cachet, and have the resume and will have the resume when they retire on this Vegas Aces team to be considered in the Hall of Fame. Let's first start with Chelsea Gray, the quote-unquote point god. Chelsea Gray, this is her, what, third? Third MVP. I mean, no, third WNBA championship. She won one with the Sparks. Actually, I think there's, yeah, a couple players. She won one with the Sparks, and this is her second one with the Aces. Her going out with a foot injury, the talk around the WNBA finals changed. She, her, she is such a good player. She is such an important, integral player for the Vegas Aces that a lot of people thought that her injury flipped the WNBA. Because I, I mean, flipped the WNBA finals. Because at that point, the Vegas Aces were up 2-0. You go into Game Three. She hurts her foot, or she—I don't know what they're calling it—but she definitely has crutches and um, a brace. And the New York Liberty win game three. So a lot of people think she flip, uh, her absence flips the WNBA finals. That's how important she is. I think the stat is going on, going around is she is, she contributes to like 39% of the Vegas Aces offense. You also have Kelsey Plum. Kelsey Plum to me is the is the definition of a microwave. When she's off, she's off. That's just how it is. That's kind of like the J.R. Smith effect. When she's off, she ain't hitting nothing. <laughs> but when she's on, she is one of the deadliest shooters and one of the most integral offensive pieces to a team when she is on fire. And when she's on fire, she has that ability. I mean, we saw it at the University of Washington. She can go off. I think that she holds the record for most points for the University of Washington, like the school. And I think that she's top 10 in scoring in the WNBA history. I mean, in women's college basketball history, I believe. You also have Jackie Young. Who. She's kind of the one that gets forgot about. She's kind of the one that. When we talk about the matchups and everything. She's the one that gets left out, but Jackie Young was integral. I mean, she played th four, 37 minutes in game four and had 16 points. She was in, she was very integral and her ability to kind of, for lack of a better word, manhandle smaller guards. Cause she's strong. She's gotten stronger. She's gotten better with her shot. She has the talent and now kind of has the resume to be considered a, a Hall of Famer, possibly. And then we get to arguably my goat, and that is Candace Parker. Now, Candace Parker obviously didn't play 
half the season because I think she broke her foot or had some type of uh, foot injury where she had to have surgery and she was out for the rest of the season. But when you hear the players talk about her, they talk about how integral she is. They talk about how important she is. And she was a main reason why the Vegas Aces started off as hot as they did and finished the regular season with the most wins in regular season history. Don't get me wrong. I do think that the Vegas Aces probably would have won a championship without Candace Parker. But I do think that Candace Parker, even though she didn't play in the playoffs and she didn't play the second half of the season, I do think that she was incredibly integral. And there's also a stat going around. She's the first player in WNBA history to win three different championships with three different teams. When we talk about the GOATs, you know, people, including myself, put in Maya Moore. They put Diana Taurasi. They they put Lisa, you know, Cheryl Swoops, Lisa Leslie. There's no way that you can not include Candace Park. I know people may not like her for reasons that that's their prerogative, but you can't deny what Candace Parker does to a team. This Vegas Aces team, the, the reason why people are calling it a dynasty is because it has all the components for a great team and it has done something that on, that that only two other teams have done in the entire history of their sport. Now, I'm not going to kill the New York Liberty. They played a hell of a or the, the, they 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 played a hell of a game. They made it this far, obviously. You have Brianna. Actually, let me just defend. I don't want to be the one to do this, but let me defend Brianna Stewart for like 20 seconds. Be honest, Brianna Stewart had pro this was probably her worst playoff run we've ever seen. She was not good majority of the time. It happens. Now, yeah, unfortunately you don't want it to happen in the most important part of the season, which is obviously the playoffs, but it happens. But for people that are killing Brianna Stewart, for people that are saying she's trash, for people that are saying this, that, and the third, obviously aren't watching the games because Brianna Stewart, since college, this is her first loss in the championship series. She's won, what, four national championships and two WNBA championships. And this is her first loss ever. And she won the MVP. Again, I am one of those people that believe that Asia Wilson deserved to win it, but I also, I'm not mad that Brianna Stewart won. I mean, she, again, had like the most 40-point games in the season. But I do want to say congratulations to the Las Vegas Aces for winning the being third team in WNBA history to win back-to-back WNBA finals and on top of that which is I think the biggest reason why they call this a dynasty or at least dynasty the, the precursor to a dynasty is all of these players are coming back pretty much there may be some movement but 
you know, shouts out to Alicia Clark. She she dedicated this win to her father that ultimately, unfortunately, passed away during the season. She was incredible. She was integral. Um, of course, Sydney Colson, who she kind of she's like the, the <laughs> Sydney Colson's kind of like um, Udonis Haslam of the WNBA. She doesn't play that much. There's a lot of games she doesn't play at all, but her leadership and her just her knowledge of the game and being able to plug and play for short brief stints was important. I mean, you want a perfect stat line to how important Sydney Colson is. She only played in the, in game four of the WME final. She only played 15 minutes. She only took one shot. She had two points, one assist, five personal fouls. However, her her plus minus was plus 17 the most on the entire team and if you go by you know plus or yeah plus negative minus or plus minus she was the most important player on the on the on the team that's crazy i don't like i understand it you know I will I I'm not going to be naive in thinking that people view the WNBA in a high regard. Not everyone obviously. If that was the case, we would be talking about the Vegas Aces winning the championship on the same level we talk about the Dallas Cowboys, who hasn't won anything in my lifetime. So, I'm not naive in thinking that you know, we should talk about the WNBA as much as we talk about, let's say, the NFL. I'm not naive. I understand where the money making is. I understand what a lot of people care about. Makes sense. But I do think that there should be more respect when something like this happens. Again, this is <laughs> this has happened three times now in the history of a sport. To put that into context, right, the last Super Bowl back-to-back champion we had was the Patriots. That means as great as Aaron Rodgers is, as great as Drew Brees is, as great as Patrick Mahomes is, as great as as, as many great teams that we have seen, the, the last team to go back-to-back was the Patriots. And if we sit in, from what it's looking like, because, again, it's a long off season, it's a long regular season, and it's, it, it's going to take a while to get back here. And Lord willing that we do get back here. And if we get back here, and the Vegas Aces have won again, which if we look like if if we look at the landscape of the league and we look at the landscape of the contracts of the WNBA it looks like the two best teams are going to be the Vegas Aces and the New York Liberty yet again and if we sit here today or sit here again a year from now and the Vegas Aces have won their third straight WNBA championship they would be the second team in WNBA history to ever do that So shouts out to the ladies of Vegas for winning 
2023 WNBA championship. Salutes to you. Oh, and yes, I do think that Asia Wilson is the best player in the world right now. There's, there, there honestly can't be any argument, especially when you see what Brianna Stewart did in this play uh, in the playoffs. And I'm not bashing her, but in a in a must win game, and they were up, I think at least 12 points in this game. Brianna Stewart went three for 17. Not the best time to have your worst game, pretty much as a pro, but. That also goes to how good the Vegas, Vegas Aces were ranked number one in defense. I mean, obviously, you have the defense player of the year, but you were ranked number one in defense for a reason. So, shouts out to the Vegas Aces. I've posed this question before. And the reason why I've posed this question before is because it has a – the, the answer is multi-layered. It's like a croissant or a lasagna or a lasagna is crazy <laughs> or lasagna. It has a bunch of layers. Not every layer is better than the other. Not every answer is better than the other, but there are layers to the answer. And the question is, how can you determine the difference between a good coach and a bad coach. I think also there's not just one answer. People can say the, the, the definitive answer is winning and losing. But I would say I don't know about that. Because if you look in the NBA, Eric Spolstra is an incredible coach. One of the best coaches, if not the best coach in the, w, uh, in the NBA. They haven't won a championship since LeBron James has been there. Now, they've been to a few, don't get me wrong, but they haven't won a championship since LeBron's been there. Well, you tell me Bill Belichick's a great coach, and I'm not, I'm not refuting that, but Bill Belichick has only been to the playoffs once since Tom Brady left. I mean, okay, you tell me, you tell me that Sean McVay is a good coach, which I believe he is. Well, the Rams have only won one championship, and it doesn't look like they're winning again this year, at least. I I'm not singling out those coaches. What I'm saying is the answer is, is different. The, not just different. The answer, there's multiple correct answers. There's not just a definitive right and wrong answer for this question. Thursday night football, the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the New Orleans Saints 31-24. to One answer that I think is correct about how you can determine if you have a good coach or not is what does a team look like before you and with you? We can look at these two teams and that answer is clear as day for both teams. Let's look at the Jaguars. 
before Doug Monroe, or you had, I mean, you can't get much worse than, uh, <laughs> you can't get much worse than, uh, um, Urban Myers. Like it, it just, it's, it's almost, it's almost impossible <laughs> to get much worse than Urban Myers. Urban Myers is widely considered one of the worst coaches in NFL history. I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously you know how he got the job, but you know, it, ew, it was bad. So you look at Urban Myers, I said Doug McGraw, I'm sorry, and you look at Doug Peterson, and you pretty much have the same exact roster, and the teams look drastically different, drastically different. What has been the thing that's changed? It's been the coaching. Doug Peterson, who is a Super Bowl winning head coach, is a much better coach than Urban Myers, obviously. And you can just look at this Jaguars team. The the issues that Trevor Lawrence has, he's had for a while. You know, he he kind of struggles to see the field at times. Sometimes he holds on to the ball too long. Sometimes he throws in just mind-boggling interceptions. Sometimes he tries to make a play out of no play instead of just throwing the ball away. You know, a lot of a lot of attributes and a lot of traits that young quarterbacks still need to develop out of at times. The only difference is those issues were crippling for the Jacksonville Jaguars before Doug Peterson got there. And then you build it now that Doug Peterson's here, you build a team, you build a roster, you build a a team that can overcome issues that Trevor Lawrence may have. And before good coaches are able to win smash mouth type games. Good coaches are able to when your team may not have it or, or you just need an extra boost. Scheming and, and game plan, they're able to win those games. Let's look at Dennis Allen, though. Dennis Allen, the head coach for the Saints, Now, yes, the Saints were, weren't haven't really been juggernauts since Drew Brees. But one thing that you can say, and, and the one calling card that the Saints have always, or not always, but have had in recent memory, was a solid offense. You can add James, now Jameis Winston did get hurt last year, but you had Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, these players that are still there, the offense looked drastically better before Dennis Allen. Now you look, 
the Saints, the biggest issue that the Saints have is their offense. And a lot of people can contribute that to Dennis Allen and his lack of creativity on the offensive side of the ball, especially when you have weapons that the Saints have. That a lot of there's not there's not too many teams that have a weapon like Alvin Kamara. There's not too many teams that have a wide receiver like Michael Thomas. Yet and still, the Saints teams, the Saints offense is God awful, especially when we talk about the red zone. Now, a lot of that can be contributed to Dennis Allen. A lot of that can be contributed to Derek Carr because Derek Carr always had issues in the red zone. You kind of saw that when he was with the Raiders. So I'm not going to solely put that on Dennis Allen, but what I am saying is this Saints team hasn't looked great offensively since Dennis Allen has been the head coach. Now, people can are, are going to look at if you if we talk about this Thursday night football game, people are going to look at the last drive, obviously, where uh, Foster Foster Moreau he he had it was like a third and goal. The ball hit his hands like it hit smack in the middle of his hands, and he was wide open. Derek Carr threw the perfect ball to tie the game up to ultimately try to force it to go to overtime. And he dropped the ball. Now, he was distraught, you know, putting his hands on his, you know, putting his hands on his head. He was just distraught, obviously, because he essentially lost in the game. But it's a lot deeper than that. The Saints had more total yards than the Jaguars. They had... More or they had the ball for almost 13 more minutes, and they had they won the penalty, they had less penalties than the Jaguars. And they even law, they even won the turnover battle two to one, and you lose that game. Going into the season, most people thought that the NFC South was not up for grabs. A lot of people looked at it and thought, including myself, I was one of those people that thought that, okay, well, the NFC South is weaker than it's ever been, but the Saints still have the best team and is probably going to win the NFC South. Now, don't get me wrong. I still think that the Saints are going to win the NFC South, but it's not because the Saints are just juggernauts. It's literally because the NFC South is weak. The Carolina Panthers have yet to win a game. The Buccaneers are kind of getting put back into their place after having an incredible start. And the Falcons, you really never know with Desmond Ritter at this point. So just by default... The Saints are the better team, but I don't I'm not sitting here thinking the Saints are just going to just be world beaters like no. I'm not sure if Dennis Allen is a good coach or not. 
I am very sure that Doug Peterson is a good coach. And obviously it's still a young season. So we still have much more games to play and things can turn around for the best. But I just don't I don't see any creativity with this Saints team. Especially when you see the creativity with the team that they just played on the other side of the field in the Jacksonville Jaguars. Travis Etienne had yet another two-touchdown game. He had, what, 53 yards, two touchdowns. Christian Kirk had 90 yards, one touchdown. Creativity. But when you look at the Saints, Alvin Kamara, 62 yards, nothing. Alvin Kamara, 91 yards uh, receiving, nothing. Chris Olave, they kept throwing him the ball. Um, 15 or 7 for 15, 57 yards. I think that both the AFC South and the NFC South are pretty, I'm not going to say pretty much solidified. Especially with Anthony Richardson going out. You don't know what the hell is going on with Ryan Tannehill and and the Tennessee Titans offense. The Jaguars are, is the best team in the AFC South. And even though the Saints are three and four, they are the best team in the NFC South. I just don't have much faith, at least in the, I have more faith in Jaguars than the Saints. And as we saw on Thursday Night Football, it, it shouldn't take a, la, a, a last second or a dropped ball in the end zone and third down to ultimately seal your fate for a game. Especially when your defense was humming like it was and like it is. The Saints have one of the best defenses in football. They just have a very inept offense right now, even though they have names on the offensive side of the ball that shouldn't warrant that title. That is what it is. So, shouts out to the Jaguars for beating the Saints 31-24 to on Thursday Night Football. And as we say every week, Thursday Night Football is the pretty much start of the NFL week. So I'm going to give my predictions for week seven of the NFL season. Let's start with the Lions at Ravens. I think that this is probably the best game of the week, and I, or second best game of the week. And I do think that... This game is very important for both teams. The Ravens haven't looked like the dominant Ravens that we thought we were going to see this year, especially with the acquisition of Odell Beckham and and, and Zay Flowers. I just felt that they were going to look better. The offense was going to look better with Todd Monk, and I, I thought it was just going to click. I may have been more high on Odell Beckham than I should have been. He kind of looks more 
closer to the end than the beginning for his career right now again things can change for the better but it just doesn't look that way and the ravens have still have one of the best defenses in football they have a top five defense the lions are coming in as one of it's it's pretty much been the the team that we've talked about the most this week, but that's because we're looking at the Lions in a light that we have not looked at the Lions pr- for pretty much my entire life, and that is a Super Bowl caliber team. I mean, you have ESPN and and Stephen A. Smith pretty much putting them number one as the number one team in football. I'm not gonna go that far, but this is a litmus test for. The Lions, now they they did beat Kansas City, and the Ravens is, is another team that a lot of people would consider a Kansas City-type team, or at least should be a Kansas City-type team. I... Hmm. I don't know about the status of David Montgomery. I do think that that is huge, and I think that if he does play compared to if he doesn't play, that definitely changes the outcome drastically for this team. I like how Jarrett Goff has been playing. Jarrett Goff has been a very underrated passer of the ball this year. But you're at Baltimore. The weather is, is supposed to be bad. I think it's supposed to be high winds. I think it's supposed to be raining, and... That bodes well, obviously, for a team that can run the ball. And we know that the Ravens are, as a team, is one of the best rushing attacks in football. I'm going to go with the Ravens. I think there's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout for any sense of imagination. And I do think that both teams are going to come in with a sense of urgency and a sense of they know that this is an important game for both teams. I think that how this game goes, we look at both teams differently towards the outcome. Like if it's a blowout, whoever gets blown out, we're looking at those te- we're looking at that team as okay, they're probably not a championship caliber team. Compared to the other team is like, okay, this is a championship caliber team obviously. If it's a close game, I just think that we're going to look at these teams differently whether good or bad after this game and I have the Ravens winning. Uh, Raiders at Bears. I actually, because it looks like uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's not going to play. I have the, oh man, it's, you know how hard it is picking the Bears to win a game? (laughs) I picked the Bears to win last week against the Vikings because they didn't have Justin Jefferson and the Bears obviously disappointed me. Oh shoot, is Justin Fields playing? I don't think Justin Fields playing. Never mind. I got the Raiders. <laughs> I, got, I got the Raiders. The Raiders have better players if Ju- Justin Fields doesn't play. Even with Justin Fields, they have like Devontae Adams and Josh Jack, Josh Jacobs. I got the Raiders um, winning this game, even with a backup quarterback. Browns at Colts. I got the Browns. I think that Gardner Minshew is a turnover machine. And Gardner Minshew is a backup quarterback. Gardner Minshew was never really supposed to be a starter. Um, he hasn't really shown the ability to be a starter for a full season. And it looks like Deshaun Watson might be back for this game. And even if he doesn't, Gardner Minshew is a turnover machine. And you're going against statistically the best defense in football in the Browns. I got the Browns winning that, even in uh, Indianapolis. Bills at Patriots. 
The Patriots have been just god-awful this year. The Patriots are on pace to have their worst season in Bill Belichick's tenured. And the Buffalo Bills, even though that, you know, they're divisional opponents, even though they are, you know, when, when, when they play, hell, you would never really know what the Bills, one game they can look like world beaters, the next they can just look terrible and, and almost lose to the Giants. But I got the Bills winning this. I just don't like the Patriots. The Patriots have been horrible, horrible this majority of this year. Actually, this entire season. So I have the Bills. Washington at Giants. Now, <laughs> this is one of those games where this is the, 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 the commanders have, have a history of playing to their competition, whether that's playing up to their competition or playing down to their competition. Doesn't look like Daniel Jones will be playing, but even if he is playing, with the defensive front that the Washington ha- that Washington Commanders have, they should win this game. They should beat the Giants. The Giants are the one of the worst teams in football. They they should beat the Giants. the The primitive word in that sentence is should. I have very. Very low confidence in this Washington team, but I have even less confidence in the Giants team. So I'm going to pick the Washington Commanders. I just, again, it's not the fact that I think the Washington obviously is a better team than the Giants. I just know my team. (laughs) I know that we lose these type of games. Hell, last year, wasn't that a shootout we lost because Darius, or we won because Darius Slayton like dropped the pass, but you know. I got the Commanders winning that game. Falcons at Buccaneers. I got the Buccaneers winning. I just think their defense is better uh, than the Falcons' offenses, even though B. John Robinson has been good. I just don't know about, obviously. Kyle Pitts had his first touchdown this year, uh, and they don't use him at all. And, again, I don't really trust Desmond Ritter. I don't trust Baker Mayfield either, but I do trust that Buccaneers defense more. So I got the Buccaneers beating the Falcons. Steelers at Rams. Steelers are coming off a bye week. I just got the Rams. It's not the Steelers defense is obviously the Steelers defense. That's their calling card. When you have T.J. Watt, when you have Minka Fitzpatrick, like it, that's just their calling card, and they're they're always going to be defensive minded team, especially with Mike Tomlin at the helm. I just there's a reason why you, the noise is loud with Free Canada or Fire Matt Canada. This offense has been inept majority of the season, and you're going against an offense that, while yes, the offensive line for the Rams is trash. You still have Cooper Cove. You still have Puka Nakua. You still have uh, Matthew Stafford throwing in the ball. And even on a lower extent, you have Tyler Higby. So I guess I have the Rams winning. But then again, no, I have the Rams winning. Ah, that Rams offensive line is god awful. And when you have TJ Watt coming at you, and mm, I still got the Rams. I got the Rams. Uh, Cardinals at Seahawks. I got the Seahawks winning. I think the Seahawks were embarrassed a week ago. Uh, and you 
you want to get that bad taste out of your mouth. So and I think that the the best way to do that. Oh, that's a pause. Now I think about it. <laughs> the best way to do that is to just lay the smack down on your next opponent, which is the Cardinals and the Cardinals. I don't Kyler Murray obviously isn't back yet. It looks like he's revving up to come back, but uh, I just with James Conner being out, it's, it's going to be tough. So I have the Seahawks Packers at Broncos. Look here. There's been a lot of talk. I, the reason why I didn't focus on it this week, because I feel like I've been focusing heavy on the Broncos and Russell Wilson situation. I didn't want to focus on that uh, that much. This is a must-win game. That's just plain and simple. The The game after this, you have the Chiefs, and then your schedule just gets brutal after that. And I don't think – I don't really see another win in the foreseeable future if you can't beat the Packers. Jordan Love hasn't been that consistent. Uh, Well, shit, neither is the Broncos, so – I'm going to pick the Broncos. I don't know why. They've been god-awful, but... And I, I don't even trust... I don't know. I'm picking the Broncos. I know the world is going to pick the Green Bay Packers. I'm picking the Broncos. Let's ride. Another game that you can consider one of the best games of the weekend is the Chargers at Chiefs. I th- I don't like the Chargers' late-game execution, and I don't like some of the the play designs for the Chargers and the Chiefs even though they have all the struggles with their with their um receivers and and offensive line I don't think the Chargers are going to be able to capitalize on their problems so I and obviously Patrick Mahomes is on a different level in my opinion than Justin Herbert I just have the Chiefs winning this game and I think it's going to be I don't even think it's going to be a shootout. I have the Chiefs winning this game. Uh, now, Sunday night football. Dolphins at Eagles. I think that this has the potential to get ugly. I know. I know. You're looking at this. You're looking at the records. The Eagles are 5-1. and one, The Dolphins are 5-1. and one. I've been sitting here for, what, six weeks now. And I've been saying that the Eagles don't look right. The Eagles don't look as dominant and as great as they did a year ago. Now, I have been contributing that to their schedule has been a a lot tougher this year. I look at that as a lot of your defense players are gone and you have a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. It takes time. They have not looked right. And coming off of their first loss against the Jets, I understand that there's a there's a level of frustration and you're going to be upset and you're ready for this opponent, the Dolphins. But the Dolphins is a high-powered offense. And I think that the Dolphins are going to win. I think the Dolphins... Probably, I'm not going to say probably. I believe they're going to win by at least 10 points. I just think that right now the Dolphins are playing much, much better than the Eagles are, even though the, both records are the same. And while, yes, I do think the Eagles' defense is probably better, the Dolphins don't have a de- – uh, look, that offense, 
That offense is, is spectacular. So I have the Dolphins winning. And Monday Night Football, 49ers at Vikings. I understand that Brock Purdy didn't look good at all last game, and they ultimately he ultimately lost his first regular season game. Uh, but I have – I mean, the Vikings aren't a good team. They're not good offensively. They're not good defensively. In fact, to me, the only reason why they won last week is because they played a worse team in the Bears. I think that the 49ers, even if Brock Purdy looks terrible, even if Christian McCaffrey's not going to be able to play, even if Debo Samuels can't play, this defense is so good that it's it's good enough to win them a game against the Vikings. So I have the Vikings. I mean, I have the 49ers beating the Vikings. Those are my predictions. Let me know what you guys think. One of the hardest things about podcasting, especially sports podcasting, is trying to address a topic that you've already addressed at a different angle. How do you broach a already discussed topic from a different angle? That's one of the toughest things about podcasting is because you want fresh content. You want fresh ideas. You don't want to sound like a broken record. You don't want to sound like, you know, just copy and paste. You also don't want to sound like anybody else. You want to give your honest opinions. I have found it incredibly difficult to or incredibly difficult addressing this James Harden situation. Not difficult because it's not content. Obviously, I can have a whole hour long conversation about James Harden and about, you know, where he came from, where he is, what's next, how they got here. I can have a long conversation about James Harden. But I've done that. I have at nauseum talked about James Harden and talked about this situation and talked about how he went to training camp. Well, let's let's back up. <laughs> he demands a trade. The teams that are going to trade him has been very slow because there's not really a market for James Harden, seeing as though there's only one team bidding for him. Then he did the whole Darren Moore is a liar thing in China. Then I think he under, he realized, yo, I got to kind of report to training camp if I want to get paid. So he went to training camp the first, what, two, three days. Hasn't been back since. I think he's missed two two days of practice. And I think Ramona Shelburne reported that he was in he's in Houston dealing with quote unquote personal matters. Oh man. Um when we think of James I think this the worst part about this situation. And the saddest part about this situation is When you think of James Harden now, 
the first thing that comes to your mind isn't the fact that he is one of the greatest offensive weapons we've ever seen. When you think about James Harden, you don't think, or the first thing that comes to your mind isn't, he's had one of the most unstoppable moves, or he has made a move in the step back, one of the most unstoppable moves in basketball history that he has perfected. You don't think about the fact of, I think he's second right now, second or third, and three points shoot or three pointers made in NBA history, second or third. Nobody's going to talk about that. When we look at James Harden, what we're going to talk about is how he has forced his way out of three teams now, or two teams. This probably will be his third. He forced his way out of Houston. He forced his way out of Brooklyn. And now he's trying his darndest to force his way out of Philly. I don't remember who said said this. I think Kevin Garnett said it. There's only you only get a certain amount of time that you can keep doing this before the league says, all right, bro, we tired of this. We're done. I've talked about this before. I said that the le- usually the last person to be honest in a situation is yourself, about yourself. You're going to look at James Harden, and last year averaged 21 points a game, six rebounds, 11 assists. You're going to look at that 11 assists because he led the league in assists, and you're going to think James Harden still has it. James Harden deserves a max contract. And I would retort by saying, you, sir, or you, ma'am, have obviously not watched the 76ers play. And watched how the James Harden they thought they were getting, they didn't think they were getting the Brooklyn Nets James Harden. They thought they were getting the Houston Rockets James Harden. That is not who they got. I said this before ad nauseum. I said that the Philadelphia 76ers didn't bring James Harden on to lead the league and assist. He brought them. He brought. He came to Philly. They brought him in to be the scoring punch, the one-two scoring punch to Joel Embiid, the same type of scoring punch that he was in Houston. That is not the case. James Harden, you know what it is, which, which, which makes this situation even worse? James Harden should have the cachet to be able to keep doing this. But because he doesn't take care of his body as much as you think an NBA player should, an elite NBA player should, because he doesn't really focus on training in the offseason as much as you think a star of his caliber should. And because every single place he's went has ended poorly. He doesn't have that. Uh, he doesn't have that cash anymore to just start making demands. So now. And I think Matt Barnes said this. 
you have to be careful about what you say and do. Because what you say and do always has consequences. And what I don't think that James Harden understands, at least right now, is the NBA, the game doesn't need James Harden anymore. In fact, I don't think it ever needed James Harden. James Harden was great. Don't get me wrong. At his height, James Harden was arguably, there was debates on is he the greatest or the second or third or, yeah, second or third best point or shooting guard ever. We all know it's Michael Jordan. We all know it's Kobe Bryant. He was in conversation for that third spot. He won an MVP. He won a sixth man of the year. James Harden is a is considered one of the greatest scores in NBA history. And I still think when we talk about that's that's one of my criteria, one of them. One of my criteria is on are you a Hall of Famer or not? Can we talk about the game and mention and not mention you? And you still get a great picture of the game now don't get me wrong James Harden is clear is a clear-cut Hall of Famer in my opinion even though he doesn't have you know a, a championship even though he's only played in one NBA finals even though he hasn't had the most the greatest playoff success at least what he's done in the regular season has garnished should garnish him a NBA final a NBA Hall of Fame spot I mean he made the all Oh, NBA 75 team. He deserves to be in the NBA Hall of Fame. But like Matt Barnes said, we're getting to a point where the game can just go on without James Harden. And Quadis is kept. Now, if they keep Russ and everything, they keep Russ, keep Paul George, keep. Kawhi Leonard and get James Harden. Yes, I do obviously think that that's a championship caliber team. But I like, I think the Clippers odds to win a championship is the same exact odds with or without James Harden. And that is the biggest indictment of this whole situation. I don't think the the Clippers, I don't think James Harden, at least this iteration of James Harden makes them that much different. So with James Harden not reporting to camp, I'm like, bro, or reporting there and then not showing up the next two days in Houston. Look, bro, you're going to look up, I believe. I don't want this to be the case because I want everyone to get what they deserve. But you're going to look up and think to yourself or look up and be like, how did we get here? Kenya Martin said it. Shouts out to all these people I'm name dropping too. <laughs> Yo, you you should know. Now, if somebody tells you something, if a, if a manager, if a GM tells you something that is just incredibly hard to fathom, you should understand something's not right here. And I may not, I might not, I might need to think about not believing this person. James Harden knows. I think players know when you have played to the certain a certain level. And when you've played or when you've contributed to a certain level that you deserve certain things. I don't think James Harden, at least in Philly, has played to the level to deserve a max contract. 
The only reason why he would get a max contract is on his name and what he did in Houston. That's it. He, I don't know why you would think, even if, now don't get me wrong, I do think that there's issues that Dar, uh, with Daryl Morey as well. This is not the first player that has come out and said that they've been lied to by Daryl Morey, or they feel like they've been lied to by Daryl Morey. That's something that Daryl Morey needs, they need to take over Daryl Morey. Because again, this is multiple times at this point that the players have come out and said they feel like they've been lied to. But in the same breath, Daryl Morey, more times than not, has helped James Harden immensely. He gave a max contract in, in in Houston. He essentially got James Harden what he wanted and traded him from Houston to Brooklyn. He all, he ultimately traded Ben Simmons from the 76ers to get James Harden back or to get James Harden in Philly. So I just don't. James Harden, you ain't done nothing in years to deserve a max contract. I know that someone like Clay Thompson, who thinks he's going to get a max contract, he can at least look at it and say, yo, you even though we have Steph, even though you had Draymond Green, you're not getting four championships without me, which is true. I don't think he was the most integral part, but I do think that Clay Thompson was important enough that if you did not have Clay Thompson, you would not have four championships. So you can look at that and say, yeah, you're right. We're just going to, yes, you, you deserve a max contract. James Harden don't got that. In fact, James Harden has absolutely nothing except a assist title in Philly. So I and now I think about it, James Harden ain't done nothing consistent since Houston. So I don't know why you thought, even though your GM said that you were gonna do it, I don't even know why like your camp would tell you, yeah, man, I know he said it, but Look, I don't <laughs> I don't think you've done enough, man. Hey, bro. I I wish nothing but the best for James Harden in this situation, but it's not looking good. And James Harden has done something that is incredibly difficult. And that is he has made people side with the organization more than him. Do you understand how difficult that is in sports? 9.5 times out of 10, the media, the, the fans, the public, they usually side with the players because they understand how greedy corporations can be. They understand how greedy uh, organizations can be in sports. But James Harden has made it that most of the fans and most of out on, you know, onlookers are siding with the 76ers over him. That is a tough feat. So, again, I wish nothing but the best for James Harden. I wish nothing but the best for the 76ers. I wish nothing but the best for this situation. Hey, we'll see. Speaking of we will see, the NBA is back next or, yeah, next week, man. This is my, uh, I know I've said this before, but basketball is my favorite sport. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not. Yes, I am. I like the way they dribble up and down. The okay, okay. I'm sorry. I had to do it. But basketball is my favorite sport. And I love basketball. I love every aspect of basketball. I love the winning. I love the losing. I love watching NBA. I love watching college. I love watching the WNBA. I love watching sports. I love watching 
the basketball. And this year, to me, is going to be so exciting for the NBA because of all the movement, because of all the player transactions. It is going to be exciting. And not just that. With these movements, with these teams making these so making these situations or making these decisions with players, it brings on narratives and it brings on interesting plot lines and storylines for a season. I think that's one of the beauties that the NBA does better than NFL. I think that they run on storylines and run on plot lines better than the NFL. Don't get me wrong. A lot of people still think the NFL is king and I'm not going to debate that. But what I'm saying is when we go for story, when we go for action, when we go for drama, hell, people tune into the NBA just to see the TNT crew. You know, uh, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Ernie Johnson, Kenny the Jet Smith. People tune into the NBA Thursdays just to watch them. Like, that's 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 where we're at. And I'm just excited. Now, I'm going to save my entire you know, storylines, I'm going to save my breakdowns, I'm going to save uh, who I think is going to, you know, my season predictions. I'm going to save that for Wednesday, which, of course, is the first day of the NBA season. Damn, Wednesday is going to be a long-ass episode. <laughs> I think about it because you got, you know, me breaking down the games that we saw on, su- on Sunday and Monday, and you have me breaking down the NBA. Well, we'll see. But I'm going to wait until Wednesday. What I'm going to do today is just give my top 10 teams in the NBA going into the season. I think that it was harder, pause, to do. It was harder around the 9-10 spot than the 1-2 to two range. And again, I'm not going to go into great detail about every team. I might save that to Wednesday. I'm just going to give my top 10 in a brief synopsis of why I think they're in the top 10. At number 10, let me first start by saying that number 10 was difficult because there's a lot of teams that I can honestly see could and probably should be in my top 10. Like, spoiler alert, the Knicks aren't in my top 10. I think that the Knicks had one of their best seasons they had last year. I think Jalen Brunson is incredible. And I think Jalen Brunson is important to this team. I am kind of on the I've been on the Julius Randle is the best player on the team train for the while for a while now. But after what I saw last year, I'm starting to think that's Jalen Brunson. They got Josh Hart. They have Dante DiVincenzo. They pretty much got back the Villanova Wildcats. I think that they're going to be very good this year, especially with the East, at least the lower half of the East East being weaker than the top. I think they're going to be better, Um, but they didn't make my top 10. Neither did the Cleveland Cavaliers. I am not sold on the Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland backcourt. I do like them, and I do think that Donovan Mitchell was much better than I thought he was as far as an offensive weapon in Cleveland, but it still goes back to the playoff success and the lack of playoff success when it comes to Donovan Mitchell. I just need to see more. And Darius Garland, he kind of disappeared in the playoffs. They didn't make my top ten. Um, the team, I will say this: the team that is the that was the hardest, and I kept double dutching between putting them in my ten spot and not is the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
I am very high on the Oklahoma City Thunder this year. You get Chet Holmgren. You have Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who was All-NBA first team last year. You have the Jalens. You have Josh Giddy. This is a very young team, but it's a very young team that, to me, exceeded expectations last year and kind of sped up that clock for this team. I don't think that they're going to be world beat. I don't even think they're going to be a championship caliber team, but I do think that we're going to see a great, fun team in the Oklahoma City Thunder. They just didn't make my top 10 because they're still young, and I need to see what Chet Holmgren looks like playing, you know, like in an actual NBA game, not just in the preseason, even though he did look good in the preseason. I I, I just... I just have to wait to see, but I do think that they have all the potential to be a a incredible team this year. That's the Oklahoma City Thunder. So let me talk about my teams that did make my top ten. All of these teams, I do think you can make a case could or could not be championship caliber teams. Uh, we'll talk about it. Let's first start with number ten. I have the Dallas Mavericks. Now, I need to see what this team looks like at the trade deadline. I'm not I don't think that this team is good enough to win a championship obviously because of their defensive inefficiencies and when you ha- I don't know I still don't know if Kyrie Irving can play alongside Luka Doncic for an entire season. I need I that is that is the main thing I'm talk I'm looking at. I know they have Derek Lively from Duke. He's gonna be he kind of gives them a JaVale McGee vibe, uh, which they de- they desperately need someone that can defend the defend the rim because Christian Wood really wasn't it. Um, even though he's good offensively, you know what I'm saying. But I I want to see the pairing and I need to see how Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic play alongside each other for an entire season. And this team obviously has to make the playoffs because they didn't make the playoffs last year. I could be obviously wrong because I was also double-dutching. Here's another spoiler alert. The 76ers aren't on this list because of the situation that's going on with, you know what? Mm. I feel bad now because now I think about it. I probably want to. I want to switch it up. <laughs> I'm switching up right on camera. Yeah, number ten. I can't do that because I like Luka Doncic. I like Kyrie Irving, but there's a lot of question marks that about this Mavericks team. That at least last year they weren't that good, um, and that is of course their defense. And I need to, you're you're expecting a lot from a rookie and Derek Lively, Lively to be the rim protector that Christian Wood couldn't. So I got to make it audible. I'm sorry, guys. I appreciate y'all for sticking with me. Number 10, I got to do the 76ers. The reason why I initially left them off the top 10 is because of this whole James Harden situation. I don't know how this is going to end. I I think James Harden, it's in his best interest to probably play and try to build your stock up. Uh, I don't know if he's going to do that or not because I know Ramona Shelburne was pretty much saying like what he's doing now with the not reporting and everything. That's just the beginning. Again, I don't I don't know what his I know what his end game wants to be. I just I don't know what it's going to look like for this team. 
I know that you have the reigning MVP in Joel Embiid. Tyrese Maxey, he's been good. We're looking for him to make that step up. You still have Tobias Harris. I think that they're going to be okay. I think they're going to be good. And, yes, I'm going to take the Mavericks out of my 10 and slide the 76ers there because at least I know that Joel Embiid is – ah, but his health. (laughs) Joel Embiid – fuck, I'm not going to overthink this. Number 10, I have the 76ers. The 76ers is at number 10. That's my number 10. I'm not going to leave the reigning MVP off of a top 10 NBA teams list. So I have the 76ers number 10. Number 9, I have the Kings. Last year, I'm I'm banking on last year was more of the norm at this point than an anomaly. The Kings were one of the best teams in the league. They were one of the best. Uh, actually, they were the number one offense, I believe. When you have De'Aaron Fox and you have Debonis Sabonis, uh, King and Murray hitting threes, you have the Red Rocket going crazy. I Malik Monk. I just think that. Last year, the biggest one of the biggest reasons why they didn't overcome, they didn't beat the Golden State Warriors in round one of the playoffs is just because of experience and because they don't play much defense. <laughs> I, I'm expecting that to change, and I'm expecting with experience, if they get back in that situation in the playoffs, they're going to know, you know the intensity, and they, they're going to know how to maneuver differently. So I have the Kings at number nine. And number eight, I have the Miami Heat. Now, the only reason I have the Miami Heat is out of respect for last year. I think that it was it was a tough offseason for the Miami Heat. I mean, you were in the running to get Bradley Bill. You didn't get him. You were in the running to get um, Damian Lillard. You obviously didn't get him. You lost Gabe Vincent. You lost Max Struess. It's tough. It is tough. Now, I understand that those are undrafted players, obviously, but as we saw last year, they were integral to the Heat's playoff run. Uh, So I'm only really giving out of respect of them or what they did last year, and Jimmy Butler is still one of the best playoff players in in basketball. You obviously have Bam Adebayo, who's one of the best young defending bigs in the league. I have the Heat at number eight. I just and you have arguably the best coach in basketball in Eric Spolstra. So I have them at number eight. At number seven, I have the Clippers. Now the Clippers can be higher than seven. They can be lower than seven. And the the thing about the Clippers is honestly the health. When we look at just the grand scheme of basketball and we look at the grand scheme of what the Western Conference looks like. The Clippers should be a a top echelon team. It's just nobody is able to trust them right now because of their availability and because of their health. Is Kawhi Leonard going to play majority of the season? Is Paul George going to play majority of the season? We know we're going to get from Russell Westbrook, but are they going to be able to play long enough with each other, Pauls, (laughs) to build chemistry? That's something that we're – at this point, we're banking on no, which is why I have them seventh, because as a team, they're better than seven. But I just don't anticipate health, which is unfortunate. But that is just the track record that we've seen from this team. So I have them at number seven. At number six, I have the Golden State Warriors. Look, there is a lot. You still have Steph Curry. You still have Clay, And Clay is probably going to be playing for a contract 
So you know how players get with that. You still have Draymond Green, even though he's out with an ankle sprain. He should be back. The thing that I don't like about Golden State, and the reason why I don't think that, I think that that window is probably closed more than ever, or not more than ever, but I think that that championship window is closed, at least right now, is because the issues that they have dealt with over the last few years, let me not say that because they did win in 2022, the the issue that they dealt with last year is the same exact issues that they have going to the season, and that is size and height. Their tallest player is, what, 6'10", and that is Dario Sarge, I think. Like, they they don't have a big man like that. Now, I know they're expecting a lot of Jonathan Kaminga. They're expecting a lot from Kavon Looney, who is pretty much like one of the most slept-on players in basketball just because he does all the dirty work. But your biggest acquisition was getting Chris Paul, who is shorter than Steph Curry. Now, I guess you think it's going to be addition by subtraction because you get rid of Jordan Poole and, you know, that energy in the locker room. But, yo, when they played the Lakers in the playoffs, round two, the size differential was massive. They, They could do nothing with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So... I don't now. Maybe if this team makes a move at the trade deadline, maybe I guess, but I just don't see it. I don't see how this Warriors team that really pretty much due to size last year doomed them isn't that much isn't bigger. They're not taller. So yeah, I have Golden State at six. At five, I have the Lakers. I'm still a little hesitant with the Lakers because they did make some moves. They got Gabe Vincent in the offseason. They got Cam Reddish. Uh, they got Torian Prince. It really is solely based on Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I don't care who the hell you bring on this team. You need Anthony Davis and you need LeBron James. That is going to be the defecto. That is At his height, Anthony Davis is one of the most unguardable players in basketball. And LeBron James, even though he is much older i think he's the oldest player in nba in the nba currently he's still lebron james now no he's not cleveland lebron james dunking on everybody like on a regular basis but he is one of the smartest players in basketball so i just don't think you need obviously those two and on top of that their biggest issue last year was shooting and I understand you th- You hope Gabe Vincent is going to change that around. You hope Cam Reddish is going to change that around. You hope Torian Prince, who has been relatively or a relatively good catch-and-shoot player, you hope they turn that, that stat around. But they still didn't really get much shooting around them. I know you have D'Angelo Russell still there, Austin Reeves, uh, Rui Hachimura. You, you're pretty much trying to run it back. But, again, my issue is shooting-wise – you need to get you need to get better at that um and on top of that even with running it back and perfectly healthy you couldn't beat the nuggets like you couldn't defend them to save your life so we'll see i have the lakers at number five at number four have the suns now this was my this was this team was the biggest uh conversation at least in my head that i had 
Because on paper, this is this is one of those on paper teams. On paper, the Suns are one of the best teams, obviously, in basketball. When you have KD, Devin Booker, and um Bradley Bill, that is a a offensive trio uh, that we haven't seen in a while, probably since KD, Steph, and Clay. Now, I know you get Yurkage or Nurkic. I know that you that you they built out their bench. You know, you have Bowl Bowl. You have some 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 players that's going to be on the bench. That's integral. I think you still have Terrence Jones. I believe I could be wrong. My issue is defense, and what the Suns are going to have to do. And you even heard you know uh, KD say it. You heard Devin Booker say it. It's going to be hard to guard this team and stop them from scoring. And what I think this team is going to bait or bank on is that they can outscore you. The issue is what if your shots aren't falling? I don't know if this team has the defensive wherewithal to stop a top team or if a team is guarding them well where they're not hitting shots. Are they able to lean on their defense? I don't believe that. And Three teams above them can for sure do that. I think the Suns are good enough to win a championship. I think it's it's a very top-heavy team, obviously. But I also think that their defense is their biggest hindrance, and their defense is going to ultimately shine in big moments or rear its ugly head in big moments. We're just going to have to see. But that's why I have them at number four. At number three, I have the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics, boy. (laughs) I don't think people are, I don't think people understand how integral getting someone like a Drew Holiday is for this team, especially a team that took a step back last year in defense. You're getting one of the most underrated and one of the best on-ball defenders in basketball on your team along with Jason Tatum, who can play really good defense and is freakishly athletic, uh, along with Jalen Brown, who can play defense. And you have Christos Porzingis. He's not really playing defense, but he can he can at least protect the rim a little bit. Losing someone like a Robert Williams and a Grant Williams and losing Marcus Smart is huge on the defense side of the ball, but I just think they have enough talent around them that – I would be shocked if this team is not in the at least Eastern Conference Finals. That's how good this Boston Celtics team is, at least on paper. But, again, we know what these players are about. Health is a big thing as well because we know Christos Porzingis kind of has a history of injury. We also know that Al Horford is getting older. So you're, those are your bigs right there. Um but yeah, if everything goes the way that it's supposed to go and players play to their potential, it's going to be tough for me not to see the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I have them at number three. At number two, I have the Bucks. Look, losing Drew Holiday is big. Uh, losing, even though I hate to say it, losing Grayson Allen is big, especially defensively. But you have Damian Lillard. You have Giannis Antetokounmpo. You have Chris Middleton. You have Brooke Lopez. This team, even without 
<laughs> Damian Lillard, this team was projected to make the championship last year. They ultimately lost to the Heat, but they were projected to make the championship team or make, make the NBA Finals last year. Now you add arguably one of the greatest point guards we have ever seen or scoring point guards we have ever seen alongside one of the greatest players we've ever seen. It would be a drastic. And I emphasize the word drastic failure if this team, the Bucks, don't make it to the NBA Finals. I'm not saying they have to win, but if they don't make it to the NBA Finals, we're going to start looking at this team. We're going to start looking at individual players differently. I think we're going to start looking at Damian Lillard in a negative light more than a positive light because that's kind of what has helped Damian Lillard for a while, and that is you're playing on a team that really doesn't have any championship aspirations or championship uh, pedigree because you, you, you're just not that good in the team. It's you and, against, or it's you and pretty much four other players that aren't that good. Now there is, a, there is true championship caliber expectations for Damian Lillard, and if he's unable to reach that, we're really going to start looking at him differently. Uh, Damian or Giannis, this is what? Three years in a row now, you ultimately don't even make it to the finals. Like, we're really going to be looking at, all right, how great is Don, is Giannis really? Um, so I think that there's huge expectations for this team. That is because they have paired Giannis and Damian Lillard. So I have them at number two. And at number one, out of respect, I have the Denver Nuggets. Now, I'm not saying out of respect as far as, like, it's, I'm just obligated to. They have arguably the best player in the world in Nikola Jokic. They have arguably the best team. Like, when I mean team, I mean, ev- like, they have built one of the best, if not the best team in basketball with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell Pope. I do think losing Bruce Brown is big, but you're hoping that Chris Brown and, or Christian Brown and you know, some of the younger players are able to to help in, in that situation. So, and this team pretty much was dominant in the playoffs. There was not a, there, there was not a moment in this playoffs where I thought that they were going to get upset, not one. I know that I think Suns beat them twice, but that's about it. It is, it is going to be the Denver Nuggets, Right now, they're the cream of the crop. They're the creme de la creme of the Western Conference, and they are my number one team in basketball right now until somebody proves me otherwise. So, again, my top ten. I took the Mavericks out of ten and put the 76ers. At nine, I have the Kings. At eight, I have the Heat. Seven, the Clippers. Six, Golden State. Uh, five, the Lakers. The Suns at number four. Three, I have the Boston Celtics. At two, I have the Milwaukee Bucks. And the one, I have uh, the Denver Nuggets. Again, I'm going to do a full, pretty much, NBA preview, NBA season preview. Uh, I'm going to give my awards and everything. I'm going to do that on Wednesday's episode. I don't want to just bloat this episode up with straight NBA. Lastly, before we go... I have the unpopular topic of the day. The question is, what is a competitive disadvantage? 
A competitive disadvantage compared to a competitive advantage is you doing something that drastically helps you or improves your chances on winning a certain game, a certain anything. And ideally, going into the season, teams, leagues, organizations want a fair shot at winning. And that is that is universal. That's in NFL, that's in NBA, that's in college. Teams want a fair shot. Not saying that teams are 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 on the same level as each other. That's not the case at all. Like Georgia is obviously not on the same or what? Georgia State is not on the same level as the University of Georgia. Like that's just how it is. This week the Michigan Wolverines are under investigation for sign stealing. Uh, if you watch a college football game, you see signs that are created by teams, and they're supposed to represent plays and supposed to represent something that only the team knows. Well, the re- investigative report is saying that a single media or a single player for the t- not player. Staff on the team on the Michigan Wolverines team was stealing signs. They were figuring out what the signs meant and telling Jim Harbaugh and telling the the or John Harbaugh or Jim Harbaugh and telling what it what they meant. Pretty much giving Michigan a quote unquote competitive disadvantage or a competitive advantage over their players or over their other team. I think that you can have, you can make an argument that the NCAA does not like Michigan and they don't like Jim Harbaugh. This can be a clear cut evidence or this this can be a clear cut sign that they're just not rock with Michigan because every team does this. Every team, it's called scouting. It's called creating a game plan around your opponent. I think that they're just, they're focusing on Michigan because they just have a vendetta with Michigan. I think with the transfer portal and some of the quote-unquote recruiting violations that Jim Harbaugh and this Michigan team has done, and now that you're seeing just how great this Michigan team is, I just, I'm not saying that they're, they're conspiring to get them, but it does seem like, I don't understand, this, is, this was one of the most laughable investigation reports I've ever seen because everyone does it. They do it in basketball and they do it in football. It's called good scouting so if Michigan gets in trouble for this and goes down for this everyone has to because everyone does it they did this in in what the Astros got in trouble for this so did the what's some people the the Patriots now those are the professional levels but Michigan you I don't see how you can discipline somebody for doing what's what everyone does. It doesn't make sense to me. And I don't understand 
I, there's no logical explanation to prove why Michigan is the center of this. When, if you ask every NFL analyst, ask every NCAA analyst, ask pretty much every coach, everyone does this. It's called good scouting. I don't get it, man. But we'll see what happens. And there you have it. That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. Add multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm trying to continue to let it grow, and I need you guys' help. It I appreciate you guys a lot. Tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe if you like the content. Again, new episodes every Saturday and Wednesday. It means so much to me. So if you haven't subscribed and you get this far in the episode, then what are we doing, bro? Subscribe, please. <laughs> uh, also, follow the socials. Follow Instagram. Follow TikTok. The link is in the description below. I post there pretty much daily. I have conversations with people. We debate about sports topics. Uh, just keep it respectful, and we'll we'll have a conversation, man. I appreciate you guys. And, um, yeah, man, until next time, much love.